Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Organic Tan Lethbridge. Do you guys remember that Friends episode where Ross whitened his teeth? Are you wondering how you can get your chompers as white as his? Well, I don't exactly know how to do that. But however, I do know how you can get your teeth up to eight shades whiter with a Sun of Smile home kit from Organic Tan Lethbridge. Watch as your stunning smile becomes instantly brighter from the comfort of your own home. The Advanced Home Whitening Kit provides visible results in just 15 minutes. You guys, Organic Tan Lethbridge does it all. Glowing skin and pearly whites. How can you go wrong? Visit their online store at organictanlethbridge.ca slash shop and use promo code RUALWOMAN15 to save 15% off your order. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. I am very excited to be back behind the microphone with all brand new episodes to be sharing with you, and I am very excited to be kicking it off with the fancy lady herself. Courtney DeHoff is a cowgirl-turned-television personality, keynote speaker, and podcast host who grabbed the attention of Deadspin, Yahoo, The Huffington Post, Live with Kelly, The CW, and more. You never know where you'll find Courtney. One weekend, she may be hosting on air inside Madison Square Garden for the professional bull riders, and the next she may be speaking in front of a group of ranchers in small-town America. A self-labeled fancy lady cowgirl, DeHoff takes pride in upholding traditions of the West in unexpected ways ways. She loves combining her passions for city life, urban trends, and high fashion with her cowgirl spirit. Through her multiple platforms, she works to help bridge the gap between urban and rural communities through her advocacy and storytelling. You guys, if you know Courtney DeHoff, you already love her. If you don't know who Courtney DeHoff is, you're going to love her by the end of this episode. We had a really fun chat and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get to today's episode with Courtney, let's go over our review of the week. This week's review comes from JB5599 via Apple Podcast. This five-star rating and review says, what a great find. I discovered your podcast by accident and it has purely been a happy one. You've made me intently enjoy my morning and evening commute for well over a month now as I get caught up on the latest episodes. I'm a farm girl from Washington State. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you have been enjoying the show, I highly encourage you guys leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the show and you can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Now, guys, I have a very exciting giveaway that I'm going to be announcing on this very show at the end of the episode. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Courtney. Hello, Courtney. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have the Fancy Lady Cowgirl on the Rural Woman podcast. It feels right. Oh, I'm excited. Well, full disclosure, right before you called, I was reading your bio and I was like, she is the perfect. I didn't know about your background and that you had all these cool things. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's like the epitome of like the blood fancy lady is. So I'm excited to be here. That is very exciting. And that is an honor for you to say, Courtney, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you fit the description. I was like, oh yes, I love her story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I want my listeners to hear your story. So Courtney, you're a cowgirl turned TV personality, keynote speaker, podcast host, and all of the things. But let's start from the very beginning of the fancy lady cowgirl. Where are you originally from? Where are your deep roots rooted? And tell us all about yourself. Oh, gosh. Yes. So many things. So I grew up in Kansas. I am from Northeastern Kansas, sort of outside of Kansas City. My whole family is from there. Both of my mom and my dad grew up 
ranching and farming in Kansas. So agriculture was sort of bred into me. It's in, it's in my genetics. My grandparents still run a large cow-calf operation in the Flint Hills of Kansas. And I grew up uh, showing Angus heifers. We showed Angus heifers all over the United States. And I also grew up rodeoing. So I high school rodeoed to the state of Kansas. I just had a really awesome childhood. Like there were always show cattle in the barn. There were always great horses in the trailer. And I just was surrounded by amazing agriculture people my whole life. You know, cowboys and cowgirls were really all I had ever known. And it was just a really, really great childhood. I went to Oklahoma State and majored in agricultural communications, which was great. But I really went to Oklahoma State to rodeo. I was on the rodeo team, but you also had to get an education. So I majored in ag uh, communications at Oklahoma State. And you had to have an internship to graduate, you know, after your, your four years. Well, being the type A person that I am, I thought, okay, I'm going to get this internship out of the way first semester freshman year so that I have all the time in the world to rodeo and, you know, like maybe go to the bar, whatever. So I got an internship at a TV station and I absolutely fell in love with it. And that really was where my love of television was born. I had no idea that that was really even an option. I didn't know much about TV, but I thought it'd be really cool to see my face on TV. But I was really blessed because the executive producer of the show and the host who hired me, you know, to be an intern, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll let you be on TV, but I'm going to make you do all the other jobs. I'm going to teach you how to shoot and edit. I'm going to teach you how to make graphics. I'm going to have you produce an entire show. And he was serious. Like I would go in and ask questions and he wouldn't give me answers. He really sort of threw me in and let me learn all different aspects. And I really credit Rob for sort of molding into this well-rounded, you know, television personality. So that's sort of how the TV thing started in college. And I college rodeoed, I pro rodeoed a little bit at Oklahoma State. But yeah, you know, my my roots are and always have been, you know, cowboys and cowgirls and farmers and, and rural America. And it's just, you know, it, it was sort of all I had ever known. And then I went to college and got this internship at a TV station. And the internship, I think, was only like, I don't know how long internships are, four or six weeks. I'm not sure. Um, but when it was over, I discovered my key card still worked. And so I just kept going. So when people ask me, like, how did you get your start in television? I'm like, well, I stalked the company that I interned at and just like kept showing up and sitting at random desks until they finally hired me. And that's how uh, the television side of the cowgirl was born. <laughs> that's amazing. And good for you for just keep going back. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, I just I loved it. And I thought, well. I wasn't getting paid in the internship, so I guess I'll just keep going. And I'll never forget one day, Rob, the boss, the executive producer came in and he goes, you know, I think this is illegal. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to like make me leave. He's like, I don't think I can have you work for me for free, so I guess I'll hire you. And that's literally how I got my first job in TV. <laughs> I love the tenacity, Courtney. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so in rodeo, what was your event? What was your sport? Yeah, I did. So I was a barrel racer. You know, I ran barrels. I also was a really great goat tire. I went to the national high school finals, qualified in the goat tying. In college, I ran barrels and tied goats and did all of the things, you know, as a freshman in college. People, it doesn't seem that strange to me, but I guess like my friends here in Dallas and the city just think it is the most like interesting and bizarre thing. I rolled into Oklahoma State as a freshman in a truck and a trailer with four horses and two goats, you know, and that was just normal for me as a 19-year-old, like, to take all my animals to school and, you know, have to get up every morning and practice and, you know, go to the school and practice and drive myself all over the Central Plains region, you know, to college rodeos. But, yeah, I um, ran barrels and tied goats, and then in college, I actually, I learned to rope as well, and I just really, really fell in love with roping, you know, breakaway roping, and I lived on a cutting horse place, and he sort of, he told me, he goes, you know, when you can rope the bale like 200 times in a row without missing, then you can get on a horse, and, you know, we'll start the logistics of, like, roping off of a horse, and so I just waited until he went to work, and I saddled off my horse, and I loaded calves. And, you know, he knew right off because there were tracks in the arena and he knew that 
I had put calves in and was trying to rope by myself. And so, you know, that's sort of how I, how I learned to rope and had some success in college. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Did you ever dream or wish that that would have been your career path is in rodeo versus, I guess, anything else that you, you thought about doing? You know, I don't know that I would say I wish that that had sort of been the career that I had chosen or the path that I had followed. But I will say this, you know, when I go to rodeos or when I see friends that I grew up high school rodeoing with qualifying for the NFR, when I watch them run into the town with the Mac, you know, for the first time, or I see all of my friends still like hauling together and traveling together and, you know, getting to see each other, I feel like I'm missing out. I think it's more of a, of a feeling of like, dang it, I'm really missing out on something I really, really, really loved. And, you know, that's hard. And that's, that was one of the hard things about pursuing a career in television. I wanted to do TV at the highest levels. And when you talk about the highest levels of television, you talk about cities like New York and Los Angeles and Dallas. And, you know, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of opportunities, you know, necessarily to be rodeoing and, and roping and practicing. And there's nowhere to, you know, stall horses in those cities. And so I, you know, I had to choose. And yeah, I I know I went down the right career path. And it's sort of all coming to a culmination at this point in my life, which is exciting. But yeah, I think there's a, there's a big part of me that feels like I, I really had to let something that for the first honestly, 22 years of my life was all I knew. You know, I sort of had to let that go to to pursue another dream. Right. Well, and I like what you said that how everything is kind of coming together now for you in such a cool way. And for any of my listeners that have connected with you already, they they see what we're talking about. And I'm excited for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about to learn more about you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been exciting. And, and, you know, you, you brought up such a good point and this is really largely how like fancy lady cowgirl was born. You know, I left Oklahoma state and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where my very first TV job was. And I was there a year and I quit. I hated it. It was a terrible experience. It was such a volatile workplace. And this was actually a rural based net news network. Um, And I, I lasted a year and I quit and I thought, you know what? That's it. If I'm going to be taken seriously in like New York and LA and all these like big fancy cities that I want to work in, I've got to get out of this like rural niche. I've got to get out of this rural industry. Not to mention, I just had such a bad taste in my mouth from this first experience, you know, in the entertainment industry. Little did I know that was nothing compared to what the entertainment industry had in store, you know, down the road, because it's just, it's a really tough um, industry, but I sort of at the young age of like 23 myself and sort of with the influence of like my TV agents and some people, I thought, okay, that's it. I can't be like, I can't talk about agriculture and I can't let people know that I'm just like a little cow girl from Kansas. If I'm ever going to make it big in this industry. And it was so naive and it, it's almost embarrassing to admit now, but I had to have that happen in order to be where I am now. Um, And so for, you know, five, six years, I really didn't talk about where I came from. I didn't talk about agriculture. Of course, I still very much loved it. I very much loved the people. I was still, you know, sneaking off on the weekends to like go hang with cattle ranching families. And then I'd come back to the TV station and I didn't tell people where I'd gone, you know, over the weekend. And I just, sort of had was living a double life almost. And it wasn't until I was working in Dallas, Texas, which is actually where I'm based now. This is about four years ago. I just looked at the video the other day. It was four years ago. Uh, I was working for a national news network, um, a syndicated national news network, which just means it's seen all over the United States. And our direct competitors were like our big network shows, like the Today Show, Good Morning America, you know, these major like go-to shows. Um, and one thing that our boss was always pitching was like, you need to bring us stories that all of these other big mainstream media outlets in the United States aren't talking about that. No one else in the world is talking about. You need to bring us those stories. Well, that's easier said than done. 
but four years ago, as I was working at this station, actually on Facebook is where I saw it first. There was a really big event happening sort of in the Midwest through the United States. So like, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma, parts of Colorado, they were really horrible wildfires that were ripping across predominantly rural areas of these states. So it was predominantly affecting farmers and ranchers. And it was awful. I mean, thousands of head of cattle were burned alive. Farmers and ranchers were dying, trying to go out and protect the animals and get them out of harm's way. I mean, it was just horrible. And I thought, man, nobody in mainstream American television is talking about this. This has literally not been talked about on any of the like big network TV shows. And so I thought, here it is. I'm going to push aside my like, oh, I don't talk about agriculture because this is too important. And there's nobody in this country at this level of TV that can tell this story the way that I can. And so I wrote up this whole pitch and I, I pitched it to my boss. And the way that I pitched it to her was, hey, the reason that everybody in the United States should care about this story is because this is affecting our food supply. This is affecting not only this country's food supply, this could affect, you know, the world's food supply. And I sent this email off. And, you know, in news, things happen very quickly. And stories become old news very fast. So, like, everything's happening super, super, super quick in the media. And she didn't respond. And, like, this is pre-COVID. So we're all in an office together. So I can see her. Like, I know she's alive. Like, I know she's in front of her computer. And so I, I stood up and I said, hey, you know, did you get my email? And she stood up in a room full of all of my peers, my co-hosts, my editors, our producers, everybody's sitting in the newsroom together. And she stood up and she looked at me and she said, yeah, I got your pitch. And she said, may I remind you, this is a real news network. Stop bringing me your little cowgirl problems. And it was just like a knife to the heart because these were my people, you know, and these were, this was, these are families that I actually knew personally, some of them. But agriculture, you know, these are my people. And she just blew it off and called it a little cowgirl problem. And that was such a pivotal moment for me in my advocating for ag and finally just getting the courage to be like, you know what? I'm a TV host, but I'm also a kid from rural America who still very much loves these people and very much wants to make sure that this way of life is still a thing. And I didn't know what to do because she had said no. I didn't have a camera crew. Like, I didn't have the resources to fly to the Midwest from Texas. What I did was I stayed after work and I started pulling photos. And I started reaching out to the people that were sharing things on Facebook. And I asked, you know, can I use this for a story? I just want to try to get the word out about what is happening. And what I discovered was, you know, sort of after the fires had burned out, there was an even bigger story taking place. And it was just that people from literally all ends of North America were coming to the rescue of these farmers and ranchers. And it was just this great show of, of empathy and just it, it portrayed the character of the people that make up rural America so profoundly. And so that was the story that I told. And I, I put a little video together and I posted it on my Facebook. And I learned how a lot of followers on Facebook, but it helped me sleep better that night, knowing that I had at least tried to help tell the story. I had at least tried to get it out there, even though the mainstream, you know, media outlets weren't talking about it. And I went to bed that night. And, you know, when I woke up the next morning, I popped open my Facebook. That video had been viewed 1.6 million times in one night. And that was just like such a absolute wake-up call turning point for me. Like, what have I been doing for the last decade? Pretending that I am not a part of this. You can't get away from it. Like, once you're a part of agriculture in rural America, it never leaves you. Like, even though I was living in a city and I was surrounded by people who know, knew ne next to nothing about agriculture, I could still be a voice and, you know, I could be a great voice because I was surrounded by people who didn't know much about it. And it was, that story was just a story I wish I had never had to tell because it was awful and it was horrific, but it just opened up the floodgates for me finally just saying, you know what? I am a fancy lady, like TV host, but I'm also a cowgirl from Kansas and these are my people and these are their stories. And so 
that's sort of how the the storytelling and the ag advocacy aspect of it was born. And then, you know, Fancy Lady Cowgirl is really just me sort of saying, I'm not going to choose. I'm not going to choose between the fancy lady living in the city, the big fancy TV career, you know, going to fashion shows, going to fancy dinners, doing all these things that I love. I'm not going to choose between that and the cowgirl, Courtney. I'm going to be both. And I just started talking about it and I started hearing about it on social media. And to my just amazement, the fancy lady cowgirl or the fancy lady farmer, there's so many women who can relate, who have, you know, either left the farm or ranch, but still very much love it and want to be a part of it. Or, you know, those women who didn't grow up in it and who have stepped into it and become just wonderful advocates and are just like taking this lifestyle head on. And I just, that's what it is. You know, Fancy Lady Cowgirl is just a celebration of all of the women in agriculture, you know, no matter how fancy, no matter how ranchy, doesn't matter. All are welcome. Courtney DeHoff, that was amazing. <laughs> hey. I, I, my jaw hit my desk when you told me what your boss told you about your cowgirl problems. Like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and the funny, like people don't know this because I don't tell people, but I tell that story. My podcast is called Cowgirl Problems. Yes, which I get a big kick out of. I'm like, <laughs> that's my little, like, you know, it just makes me feel good on the inside. I'm like. Right. And we all just have to have those little wins in our lives, I think, that are just like the big middle finger to the people who thought we couldn't do what we're doing now or what you they thought you couldn't do or the stories that they thought wouldn't be of interest to people in in this world is just it's outstanding to me. I just don't get it. But (laughs) yeah, me, me either. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shoutouts on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. So the brand Fancy Lady Cowgirl, you've you've come up with it. It is something that I feel has really taken off. And I feel like it's important for all people in agriculture, not just the ladies, but the gentlemen too, but particularly the ladies, I think. It's important for us to share our stories about our our lives on our farms and our ranches and our homesteads. Why do you believe it's so important for rural America, rural Canada, farming families in general to be sharing their stories with the general public? It is absolutely crucial that we share our story. And that can come in many different ways or shapes or forms. There's no right or wrong way to share the story, but, you know, you look at the conversations that are happening in the media. You look at the conversations that are happening, you know, just amongst even your own friends and family who don't come from the agriculture industry. There are so many misunderstandings. There are so many misconceptions about where our food comes from. You know, climate change is constantly making headlines. There are just so many things that aren't necessarily accurate that are just flying around. And I really believe if we would just be a little bit more vulnerable and be willing to just let people in and show them that, you know, we're human, we're just, you know, we're normal people. I think that there would just be such a deeper understanding of where our food comes from and what farmers and ranchers actually do 
and who farmers and ranchers are. You know, the, the, the people that I go to the grocery store and shop with in Dallas, Texas, they have no idea who their farmers and ranchers are. They have no idea where they live. They don't know what it really means to be a farmer or a rancher. And honestly, that's on us. We need to be doing a better job of telling the story and, and sharing the information. And, you know, I tell people all the time, living in a city and living in several major cities, you know, I live in New York City, I'm now in Dallas, I've been in Dallas for four years. It's been so eye-opening because the thing about it is people are actually pretty darn interested in what we're doing and what we have to say. It's just like the fancy lady cowgirl. Some of my biggest supporters here in Dallas behind my fancy lady cowgirl brand, they're girls who have never stepped foot on a farmer ranch ever, but they're intrigued and they see that I'm passionate about it. And they hear the stories that I tell about, you know, my pappy, my 81 year old cowboy, you know, pappy who's still riding pastures on his cow pony and checking cows. Like they hear those stories and they're just, they want to be a part of it. You know, I think that we sometimes forget rural Canada, rural America. It's sort of like a romanticized way of life that we are actually physically getting to live and, and people, they, they want to know more and, and they're genuinely intrigued. You know, I, I, when the pandemic started, I did a little thing on my Instagram because we were sort of talking about how there were going to be beef shortages because the meatpacking plants were shutting down and that sort of thing. And so I just shared a few of the like ranchers around the United States and Canada that I knew that you could get beef like directly from their ranch. I cannot tell you how many messages I had from people that were like, what? This is a thing? You, you mean the, you mean the rancher can like, there are some ranchers who will actually send us beef to our house? Like that is so cool. They, they just, they had no idea. And that's because we haven't told them, you know, like, I think that there's just so much work to be done in sharing agriculture story. And, and I know specifically here in the United States, I'm not as well versed in Canadian media, but like here in the United States, there is such a misconception about who farmers and ranchers are. And our mainstream media here in the States is, it's, it's just always wrong. You know, farmers and ranchers get so frustrated because the story is, they're like, the story is always wrong. And they portray us, you know, to be these, awful people. And like, they just don't get it. And I hear this over and over and over, just over and over and over. And when I finally get people to slow down and take a breath, I say, but would you have talked to the media if they had called you? Well, no, because like, I don't know what, the, I don't know how the media was going to construe it and what they were going to say. And I always say, if you're not willing to have the conversation with people about agriculture, someone else will. And it might not be the someone else that we really want representing agriculture. I just think that, you know, sharing the story is, is, is absolutely necessary and crucial right now more than ever. And I just also believe that there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, advocacy comes in so many shapes. and forms. I mean, I'm a perfect example. I'm like full hair, makeup, I love fashion, and then I put a cowboy hat on, or, you know, it's the fancy lady and the cowgirl. They don't, those two things don't go together. But what I'm doing is I'm starting a conversation, and it's starting a conversation about agriculture. Absolutely. And I liked what you said about it takes us in agriculture to be vulnerable. And for me, I come from outside of agriculture coming into it. So there's things and topics that I don't understand why farmers and ranchers would be uncomfortable to talk about because I'm from the outside looking in and I'm scratching my head thinking, well, why, why don't you just talk about it? Why don't you be vulnerable and just tell the people what it's like on your farm or ranch and, you know, squash the rumors that this is how farmers and ranchers are and whatnot. Like I just don't get it. So in your opinion, why do you think it is so hard for ranchers and farmers to open up and have those vulnerable conversations? Yeah, I love what you said. And I just want to say that people like you are so incredibly valuable to this agriculture industry because you hit it on the head. You have a different perspective and that is worth 
so much. And I always tell people, we need those perspectives. We need different opinions. And it's just like me living in the city. I mean, it's really changed my view. I'm not necessarily like, I, I sort of feel like an outsider looking in sometimes now, but it's awesome because it gives me such a different point of view. And it allows me to look at agriculture from a totally different side. You know, when it comes to being vulnerable, and I, I use this word all the time, and I travel all over the country and I'll do, I'll speak to groups about ag advocacy. And the minute I start flying around the word vulnerable, more the men than the women, not throwing the men under the bus, but more so the men than the women, I can just see them like shriveling, like just sort of shrinking into themselves like, oh God, she, she thinks we're going to be vulnerable. I always joke and say, now, you know, men, I can say, I don't mean like, you know, you need to get on TV and get emotional and cry about agriculture. That's not what I mean. But when it comes to vulnerability, you know, vulnerability is so powerful because everyone in the world can relate to vulnerability. When you open up and when you're just like truly authentic and honest about something, people are attracted to that because it's few and far between anymore these days, you know, with social media and everything sort of got this facade over it and, and it's hard too. And I, and I get that. I mean, there are things, heck, I pretended I wasn't involved in agriculture for six years. You know, I'm not calling anyone out because I'm a hundred percent guilty of this, but it's like the fancy lady cowgirl. When I finally got really vulnerable and said, Hey, like, I can't live this way. I can't just be the fancy lady TV girl because the cowgirl side of me, like that breaks my heart to have to push that aside and pretend it doesn't exist. When I finally was vulnerable enough to just like open up about that with people, it, it flourished and amazing conversations began to happen and amazing people came into my life and started sharing their stories. You know, both people who were involved in agriculture and people who weren't, you know, vulnerability is sort of how we connect with, you know, one another. If you go on social media or if you have a conversation in the grocery store, you know, with someone, with a mom, for example, and you are talking about the food that you raise and the food that you grow and you say something along the lines of, well, I feed this to my kids. That immediately lets the mom sitting in New York City in a, you know, high-rise apartment who has never stepped foot on a farm or ranch, she can immediately connect with you because she thinks, oh, okay, I know how much I love my children. And if this mom is willing to feed this food to her children, then I know it's okay to feed it to my children. And I always tell people, and, and in media, you know, we, especially working in like national news, we always were trying to find ways to bring in a larger audience and to connect, you know, everyone and everyone's connected to agriculture, everyone in the world, because we have to eat, you know, so everyone has a vested interest in agriculture, whether they realize it or not. But I think by opening up and by being vulnerable and just being really authentic, I think that we can bring in a, a much larger audience. And I think it also comes, you know, back on to us as those involved in agriculture, we have to be vulnerable enough also to be willing to admit, we don't know all the answers. You know, we don't necessarily know how to do all the things. I did a little like Instagram story series the other day, and I asked women to share their biggest insecurities when advocating for agriculture. And one of the things I heard over and over and over again was this, this term, I'd never really heard this term, but this imposter syndrome term. And I related to that so closely. Like I come from a ranching background, so cattle, beef. I don't know a whole lot about the farming side. And honestly, that was sort of my hesitation in doing Fancy Lady Farmer. I thought, well, gosh, I'm not a farmer. Like they're not going to take, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like I can't talk about Fancy Lady Farmer, but then I, I stepped back and I thought, you know what? It's okay that I don't know every aspect of every sector in the industry. It's okay. And I think that we have to be willing to not only be vulnerable in sharing our story, but we have to be vulnerable enough to admit that we, we don't have all the answers in agriculture. We have to be vulnerable enough to admit that, you know what? 
our operation, we don't, we don't do it the traditional way. We do it this new modern way, but here, let me show you what we do and why we do it this way. And I think that, you know, those different forms of, of vulnerability and just true authenticity, that's what's going to bring people in from the outside, you know, because that's how they'll relate to us. Absolutely. And I like what you said about you feeling like you weren't able to do the fancy lady farmer thing because you yourself are not a farmer. You're a cowgirl, you're a rancher, you're all of the things. When you came out with the fancy lady cowgirl things, I just admired all of these fancy cowgirls. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just love them so much. And I thought, well, I'm not a cowgirl. Like I'm not a fancy lady cowgirl. But when you showed it as a fancy lady farmer. And really all of these women have this connection in agriculture in general. Like you said, agriculture brings everybody together, whether they know it or not, because we all need egg. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, when I think of a cowgirl and when I think of a farmer, part of my fancy lady movement or my fancy lady brand is I not only want the cowgirls who are horse riding, roping, ranching, truck driving cowgirls. I want the girls who maybe have never ridden a horse, but have always really admired the lifestyle. When I think of farmers, I want the fancy lady farmers who are, you know, farming hundreds of thousands of acres. And I also want the farmer who has a rooftop garden in Brooklyn. I really want the fancy lady movement to truly be all encompassing because exactly what you said, I heard that so often, like, oh my gosh, we love this. Like, we're not a cowgirl or we're not a farmer. Well, now what I'm hearing is, oh my gosh, I love this, but mm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cowgirl enough. I'm not farmer enough. And this is something I can relate so closely to because I heard it all the time on my own social media, you know, I would post the, I would put together a video about a blizzard that was happening in Nebraska that was affecting ranchers and it would have millions of views. And I would post that video. And then the next day I would post a picture from, you know, something I had done that day in New York. And I would get messages that said things like, why are you, why are you there? Why are you even posting this? We thought you were a real cowgirl we're unfollow. And I thought, Oh, okay. So I'm telling the story that you shared yesterday, but today, because I'm in a setting that is unfamiliar to you or that you don't feel is traditional cowgirl. Now I'm suddenly not cowgirl enough. And it's the same with farming. You know, I have a, a good friend who messaged me one time and she said, I'm so glad that you explained this because she said, I've so badly wanted to call myself a farmer. I just didn't know if I qualified. Fancy lady, cowgirl, farmer, fancy lady, welder, whatever you want to be. I really want this movement to bring together women and show them that you, it doesn't matter at what level you're doing it. If you just have a passion for agriculture, for farming, for ranching, for wide open skies, for the history, for the tradition behind it, you're welcome. And it's been so cool because just through social media, I have, I've discovered people like you who have really neat, awesome stories. And it just, I admire people like you who step into this world because it's a hard industry. You know, it's a hard industry to step into. It's, it's, I don't know that agriculture is always all that welcoming and I just really admire people like you. And I also just really admire people who are doing like really unique things and really unique sort of like bizarre, just sort of things that don't go together, but that are, that are striking, you know, conversations about agriculture. You know, I use the example a lot. One of the groups that I really love following is the Compton Cowboys and it's so cool because the Compton Cowboys is a group of black men from Compton, California, you know, a very dangerous traditionally part suburb of Los Angeles who ride horses through the streets of Compton and LA. And suddenly people are like seeing these black men in cowboy hats on horses. And it's just like, they're urban and they're cool. And they're starting such a fabulous conversation about, Hey, 
not all cowboys are like, you know, your tobacco chewing, horse riding, like whatever. We can have cowboys in LA too. I love stuff like that that sort of like strikes the senses because it's different. And that's sort of like fancy lady cowgirl, you know. I love to go, you know, get my full face of makeup and put on clothes that absolutely would not make sense on a farmer ranch and then draw on a cowboy hat or carry a rope can or lead a horse through the barn. Um, because I just think that that's a really great way to invite people in who maybe aren't already involved in agriculture. And that's really the main goal. You know, at the end of the day, we have to not only be willing to be vulnerable and share our story, but we have to be willing to do it, not just with one another, right? We have to be willing to open up vulnerable enough to share the story with, you know, the outsiders, so to speak, looking in. Absolutely. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest problems that we have in egg social media, in my opinion, these days is we're so busy talking to each other. And when it comes to sharing our story to a wider audience, it doesn't usually get there. Because like you said, sometimes when you're scrolling through social media and the for you pages or whatever it is, things are coming up that are in your normal wheelhouse, right? Like, so if you are Mm -hmm. a, if you're a hippie from the backwoods of British Columbia, and you're into braiding hemp and all of these things, yes, maybe my stuff will come up because I'm an organic hemp farmer. But if you, Mm -hmm. you know, are a, I, I can't even think of anything outside of agriculture, Courtney, this is how bad I am. (laughs) If you're a surfer from California, you're probably not going to see my stuff, right? Like it's just, you gotta kind of open up and talk to the outside to make sure that our stories get to not just each other, but for, for outsiders as well to make a bigger impact. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, I tell people all the time, advocating to one another is not really advocate. Like it's just an echo chamber. We're just regurgitating the same stuff that we've always heard that we already know. And I, I tell this to groups all the time when I go and speak to them, look at where it's gotten us. It hasn't gotten us really anywhere. You know, agriculture, in my opinion, we're 20 years behind in sharing the story. You know, we have so much catching up to do. And there are just so many organizations and, and groups that, don't really like agriculture that are so far ahead of us. And I think just what you said, so much of it has to do with the fact that we're just like talking to one another. And I think that we need to be really mindful of that. And I think it's okay to have conversations amongst one another on platforms like social media, but we really, really need to be mindful of those conversations and what we're having, having, you know, what we're talking about. I have a a friend here in Dallas who was a co-host at the TV station that I worked at, you know, lives in the city, doesn't come from a ranching background. And she said something to me one time that was so profound. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what is wrong with agriculture. It was when COVID had started. And I honestly don't even remember like what the posts were about, but she follows me, you know, obviously because she knows me and we're friends, but because she also gets a lot of information about, you know, farming and ranching and the food supply and things, you know, just stuff that I shared, I guess. And she said she called me one time and sort of in the middle of COVID when there was all these talks about food shutdowns and food shortages. And I could tell that she was genuinely worried. And I said, hey, like, Crystal, what's up? And she's like, well, I just wanted to call you because, like, I need the real story. And I said, you know, oh, you've been watching the media. Like, you know, I'm happy to answer questions. What what did you, you know, what's your question? She said, no, I I know that sometimes the media is not right. So I always go to, like, your social media pages to see what you're sharing. And she goes, I really love the articles and stuff and the videos. She said, but I started reading the comments on some of the stuff you're posting. And she said, I see that, like, these are, like, farmers and ranchers. These are, like, agriculture. People are, like, commenting on your stuff. And she said, Courtney, all they're doing is fighting. She goes, they're fighting. And she goes, I'm like, I don't know what to believe. She said, if if the farmers and ranchers are fighting amongst themselves, how do I know who to trust when it comes to feeding my children? And I just thought, oh my gosh, like that is the problem. You know, we spend so much time going back and forth on social media and going back and forth amongst one another and the different organizations are always fighting against each other. You know, this, this breed organization, this breed organization. And, you know, 
the farmers and the ranchers, well, they're not the same and they don't see eye to eye. And it's like, what are we doing? We are just doing such a disservice to our industry. And I know that this is easier said than done. I'm not naive, but I, I'm going to say it anyway. If we would just stop fighting amongst one another long enough to just let people tell their story, whether it's the organic hemp farmer or the grass-fed you know, rancher, whatever. If we would just let people tell their stories and whether we agree with them or not, let them be vulnerable and let them be authentic, we wouldn't be in this position. And I think that's a big part of the problem when it comes to vulnerability and being willing to share our story. I'm, I'm 100% this way. There are things that I share that I post and I have to psych myself up all day. Because I know that it's good information. I know that it's accurate information. I know that if I can just help one person, if I can teach just one person about agriculture, then I have accomplished what I set out to do. But it takes me the whole day to psych myself up to get ready to read the hateful messages and the DMs and the people calling me an idiot and the people ranting and raving and using the F word on my platform. If you don't like it, leave. and. It never ceases to amaze me how often those are farmers and ranchers. And I'm not saying that all, all of agriculture is like this because most of agriculture is wonderful. And most of the people within, you know, these rural industries in Canada and, and the United States are, are just really, really wonderful people. But we've all seen it. We know that there are people out there who are, I don't know if they're just stirring the pot to stir it or they genuinely believe, but I just see so much fighting amongst ourselves. And it's like, this is, this is just slowing us down. Like, no wonder the media gets the story wrong. We can't even get it right. You know, we can't even come to an agreement. And so, I don't know, I got off on a tangent. I don't even remember what your question was, but that's just one of my pet peeves. Girl, it doesn't even matter. I have my hands to the <gasps> heavens right now because, yes, preach to all of this. Uh, I like got to the point where I'm like, wait, what did she ask? Oh, <laughs> no, you've hit the nail on the head so many times here. And like you're preaching to the choir here, like you're talking to an organic hemp farmer like we are like north of normal by many miles like <laughs> or I should say normal right which this is like I'm just gonna have to get you on my podcast because I'm like this is so cool I have so many questions <laughs> what does this entail I need to know more right so just everyone you tuned because I'm gonna definitely get this story. I just love that and you want to know what's so funny I was like you know I follow you and everything but I actually do my homework because I'm a journalist you know and I wanted to make sure I like knew your story and I'm like going through your profile and I'm like I she has a nose ring yes I like her I like her already like she has a nose ring so I think we're gonna be friends I love just like you know things that are unexpected or just like not your traditional you know, overall where, and that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, gosh, you, you turn on a movie and it's like, there's a farmer in it. And he's like, got a piece of hay in his mouth. Like that's not realistic. You know, like I, I just really respect and admire people like you who are, you know, just doing cool stuff. And, and, and you're sort of, I don't know, like a, a traditional, but like a non-traditional farmer, which I think is just super neat. Thank you. I love that. I have been saying, I, when did, I can't even remember when this saying came up, but I've been saying and preaching and shouting from the rooftops, I think ever since I came into agriculture, because I've seen it from my outsider's perspective, that agriculture needs to support agriculture. It doesn't matter if we do it differently. It doesn't matter if I agree with what my neighbor does versus what they agree or don't agree that we do here. We still produce safe and quality food that feeds the world. And I think that's pretty freaking awesome. So like you said, so instead true. of instead of arguing and nattering with one another and hating on each other on social media, let's learn from one another. And if you don't agree with what I'm doing, or if I don't agree with what you're doing, you can simply scroll by or if you really don't like it, there is an unfollow button because social media is completely optional. We don't need it in our lives. We don't need to follow each other. It's a want. 
So if you don't want to hear what I have to say or what your neighbor has to say or whatever it is, right? Like just unfollow. And I don't like, I don't get the need to be mean to people on the internet, but obviously some people do. Oh, yes. (laughs) I I don't want them to be mean to me. Like just, just scroll on by. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. And you know, I would even add to that. Agriculture needs to be nicer to agriculture. And I think that we also need to be more accepting of like, I tell people, people are like, oh, you come from a cow, like a cattle ranch. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, you didn't hear this from me, but John is a vegetarian. I'm like, why are you whispering? I don't care. Right. He's a vegetarian. I don't care if someone's <laughs> a vegan or a vegetarian or pescatarian, whatever. Like, I'm I'm kind of intrigued by it. Some of, I work in entertainment. I work in, you know, Hollywood. Like, I see all types. And my favorite thing to do is like learn about it. I'm like, you're a vegetarian. Okay, cool. Like, so what do you eat? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Like, what is your go? You know, I want to know everything. I think the more, um, that we as agriculture can educate ourselves on people who are, you know, wildly different than us. I think the better, you know, I, I try to, I'm like a, I don't know. I'm a little bit of like an adventure seeker too. And I like things that are like new and interesting and unique and different, but I seek out stuff that is completely opposite of what I know because I love learning. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm a storyteller. So like I've always loved learning. I've always learned, loved learning people's stories. And so I, I would add to that and just encourage agriculture. You know what? Just because you don't agree with it or understand it doesn't mean you need to blow it off. Like you might actually learn something, you know, really great about, you know, people who have very different views than you. Exactly. Exactly. We just need to be open-minded and vulnerable. Amen. I think that is the overview of all of this right here. Courtney. (laughs) Absolutely. You guys, I have a confession. One of my most favorite ways to treat myself to some self-care is with a spray tan from Organic Tan Lethbridge. I always leave there with instant gratification and healthy glowing skin that always feels so hydrated and luminous. Now guys, I don't always get to go see my favorite ladies at Organic Tan Lethbridge for my custom spray tan experience. However, that doesn't mean I have to stop feeling like a bronzed goddess. Their at-home tan line, Color Me Dark, is amazing. This unique blend of organic and natural ingredients gives you the ability to give yourself the do-it-yourself glow that you desire. Formulated with natural ingredients, the Caramel Guide color gives an immediate glow and allows for perfectly even application. Color develops safely, gradually, and naturally. Color Me Dark can be used year-round, especially during the long, cold winter months when your skin needs a little bronze pick-me-up. But guys, we're not in that season right now. We're in farmer's tan season and stop the presses. Their new Color Me Dark Express Tanning Mousse has helped me fix my farmer's tan. Seriously, this stuff is revolutionary. Check out the Color Me Dark line and all of the other amazing at-home products offered from Organic Tan Lethbridge at organictanlethbridge.ca slash shop and use promo code RURALWOMAN15 to save 15% off of your order. That's Organic Tan Lethbridge. I'll spell it out for you. L-E-T-H-B-R-I-D-G-E dot C-A slash shop and use Rural Woman 15 to save 15% off your next order. And yes, my friends, south of the border, they can ship to you too. For my listeners who are looking for another great podcast to listen to. Tell us more about Cowgirl Problems, what it's all about, and when you started it, and the overall feel of your wonderful podcast. Oh, yeah. So I actually was doing an interview today, earlier today, and they asked about the podcast. And if I'm being very honest, I started a podcast because everybody else has started a podcast. And I was like, <laughs> I, I think like my first podcast episode is literally me going, I don't know what this is, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about ag. We're going to talk about other things. I don't really know. Like, welcome. Well, what I can say is the podcast has morphed into really one of my like most 
highly valued platforms and resources because what has happened with cowgirl problems is what I started doing was just reaching out to people like you, people who I found largely on social media, who I thought were cool, who I thought were like intriguing and interesting and who I thought were, you know, doing agriculture like in a unique or non-traditional or even a very traditional way. So Cowgirl Problems is really just me. I always joke and I always say this on my podcast. Cowgirl Problems is really my way of becoming best friends with the people who I find on social media who I'm like, yes, I love what this person's doing. I think we should be friends. I'm going to get them on my podcast. And then like that will just like start the relationship and then we'll be friends in real life. But (laughs) it's really just like a culmination of really cool stories from people who are just doing really neat things, you know, within agriculture or just really neat things that have ties to agriculture. It's people who have stepped into agriculture for the first time. It's people like me who have left agriculture and then come back. Um, It's just really a lot of cool stories from predominantly women. I need to get more men on my podcast. So if, you know, anyone's listening and you have recommendations, send them my way because I love I love men. I think men in agriculture are so great. You know, the fancy lady movement really would just focus on ladies because I am a lady. Like, that's what I know. But I always tell people, I'm like, I don't hate men. Like, I love men, too. I just haven't figured out how to brand, like, the fancy gentleman cowboy. I don't know. You know, one brand at a time. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just a really great place for me to, to share other people's stories. Because at the end of the day, my platform... I, people have started using the word influencer and it's sort of, I, I said this on my Instagram, I'm very open about it. I said, oh, ah, that makes me, I don't know, it makes me cringe a little bit. I said, no, 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 I'm not an influencer. I'm a storyteller. Well, I guess at the end of the day, if I'm influencing people to learn more about agriculture or, you know, to seek out other people involved in agriculture, then I'm happy to influence the way. But my platform, the real core and, and the mission behind it is to share other people's stories. So that's just largely what Cowgirl Problems is. It's just a, it's just a platform to share stories of people that I think are really cool. Very cool. And for my listeners, the few men that do listen to this podcast, please contact Courtney because yes. she would love to have <laughs> you on the podcast. I myself will not have the men's on my podcast. <laughs> And this has been a bone of contention with some of them. But uh, I'm here just to talk to the ladies. But the men's they can go hey, to you. We'll send you the good ones over I to like you. It. Okay. Yeah, you send them over my way. Right. And speaking of the men's, Courtney, I would be absolutely remiss not to talk about one of the most amazing, wonderful things that happened to all of us on social media during the global pandemic (laughs) that is COVID-19, that is Jogger Watch. So for the people... Oh gosh! No, we're talking about it. We're we're bringing it up. You can't you can't get away from Jogger Watch. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I was like, where? I was like, where where is she going with this? Did did she accidentally think I have a husband? Do I know that? I don't know that. Like, what? I was like, where is she going with this? Oh my gosh, Jogger Watch! I'm telling you what, that was like just something that I never (laughs) in a million years foresaw taking off. First of all, like it did here. Okay, what? Here's what happened. What happened was. So the pandemic hits and, you know, we're not allowed to leave our apartment, essentially. Like, you know, I, I, I heard about like my mom and dad and like the farmers and ranchers, like from homes experience <laughs> of pandemic and then pandemic in a major city. It was not great. Like we, when it first hit, all we were allowed to do, we could go to the grocery store. Like you had to go at certain times and then like eventually the letter of your last name. I mean, it was a fiasco. All we were allowed to do was like go outside and walk around. And I was like, I, if I don't get out of this apartment, I'm going to lose my dang mind. So I would just every day, I would just, I would, sometimes I would walk for three hours. Like I had to buy new shoes. It was a whole thing. Well, what I noticed while I was like out and about on the streets is that everybody else was out and about on the streets because the gyms were closed. So like all of these like really well-fit men (laughs) were like 
out on the streets and I live in Texas. So it's like 500 degrees. It's boiling hot. So, you know, most of them don't have shirts on. And I just like jokingly in my own head, I thought, well, if there's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic, the men have come out of the gym and now they're just like on the streets in the wild. And so I just like as a joke one day, started videoing a few of them in slow motion and the people went wild. And that was how Daughter Watch was born. I died. I died the first time I saw it. I was like, this is hilarious. And when it kept on happening, I was like, God bless Courtney DeHoff, because this Ooh. is a joy, <laughs> a true privilege to it be was, watching this. It was intense. <laughs> yeah, I did Jogger Watch for like three straight months, five days a week. I mean, it was intense. I've, I've taken a little bit of a break just because it's it's so hot outside now that like nobody even goes outside because it's so hot. But you know, just tune in every now and then. You never know when a little jogger watch session will pop up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, I want to thank you on behalf of all of the Instagrammers who were able to see that because it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It was my pleasure. (laughs) Oh, Courtney, it has been, I could talk to you all night. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. My last question for you is what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a fancy lady cowgirl? The relationships, the women that just openly being a fancy lady cowgirl has got into my life. It's been life-changing. Honestly, It I have made friends that I look at and I think, wow, I've known you for like a couple months, but you're a lifelong friend. Like I can feel it. I know it. It's just been so awesome. The women that brought into my life and the, you know, the women and men, I, I shouldn't just say that the women, but the women and men that, you know, fancy lady cowgirls brought into my life. It's just been, it's been so awesome. And the coolest part about it is I just keep discovering, you know, people that I never in a, in a million years, would have imagined had any ties to agriculture or any, you know, interests. Like it, it, I tell people all the time, everything from neurosurgeons to Hollywood actors that are like, Oh yeah, we grew up riding horses. Oh yeah. Work out. Oh yeah. You know, I go to the PBR. Like it just is amazing. I, I never realized how many people like me sort of live that double life of the, the fancy life and the, you know, the cowgirl life or the farmer life. And so I would just say the relationships that it's, it's brought into my life and the stories that I've had the privilege of, of being able to tell that has been by far the greatest joy of being a fancy lady cowgirl. That is awesome. And we thank you for sharing those stories because it connects us all and it brings us all just that much closer together. So it's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So for my listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Yeah. So Instagram is just at Court Dehoff, D-E-H-O-F-F. And then my Facebook is Courtney Dehoff TV. And then, you know, if you want to check out my website, CourtneyDehoff.com. And of course, you mentioned the podcast is on all the major podcasting platforms. If you go to my Instagram or my Facebook, it's got all... It's got all the things there. So you can find find everything there. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Oh, wonderful. This has been so fun. Thank you so much. So fun. And I like what you said before of you just have people on your podcast so you can be the best friends from now on. So well, now we're best friends. We're best friends so. now. Yeah, I, ho- I was hoping you would say it first, but I was already like, well, I'm going to be friends with this girl now. There so you go. I hope she's into it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the Real Woman Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Courtney. I just love her and her positive attitude and all of the things that she's doing for women in agriculture. She is definitely a rock star. So I let you guys know in the beginning of the episode that I had a special giveaway that I was going to be announcing here today on the show, and I'm so excited to tell you guys all about it. You may have seen on social media a couple weeks ago that I showed off a fancy little Google Nest Mini that I had to do a giveaway with. And 
I thought to myself, who better to give it to than one of my awesome listeners of the Real Woman podcast. You can do all sorts of things with this Google Nest Mini, like control TVs, lights, thermostats, make phone calls, set timers, check the weather. But I think most importantly, you can listen to the Real Woman podcast on it. So here's how you can enter to win the Google Nest Mini. From now until December 31st, 2020, join in the patron gang in supporting the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon and be entered to win the Google Nest Mini. For as little as $2, you can support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared on the Rural Woman podcast. Plus, you get exclusive content, discounts, and you get entered to win the Google Nest Mini. The winner will be drawn on January 1st, 2021, and I'll be entering full contest details in today's show notes. I'm so excited to be able to do this giveaway with you guys. I think it'll be super fun. And the support that I receive from my patrons through Patreon is the reason that I'm able to do this each and every week for you guys. So your support means so much to me. And it's the reason that I am able to do this and sit here behind this microphone and share the amazing, incredible stories of women in agriculture with you all. So I hope to see you guys join in on the fun over on Patreon. Thank you again for tuning into this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. And I will see you guys back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.